Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father, from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you this day for the call that you give us to be imitators of you. But Lord, more than that, that you give us your Son as the example to follow. Lord, we would ask this morning that you break your words small, fit for our consumption. In your name we pray. Amen. This morning I would invite you to turn to our epistle lesson from Ephesians chapter 4. The last half of the chapter in the first two verses of chapter 5. Or you can follow along in the sermon outline available for you as well. I love to cook. And there are a lot of things that I can cook really well, but no matter how many times I try to do it, when I cook bread, when I bake bread, see I can't even say it right, it never seems to come out the way that it is supposed to. Now, if I use a bread maker, I have a little bit better results, but regardless of how it tastes at the end, there's always this amazing aroma, this smell that fills the house that just makes you want to tear the lid off of the bread maker or the door off of the oven and just dig right into the dough. The dough smells good. And bread is delicious. But neither is truly satisfying. They fill us up for a little bit, but not forever. This morning our readings call us to follow and consume a different kind of diet. The Apostle Paul writes to the Ephesians and says, You must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. And see, here there is a clear distinction between those who are in the covenant, who bear the promise of God, and those who stand outside of it. In the same manner that the Old Testament Israelites were part of this chosen nation of God. And so as Paul uses this language of these Gentiles that still function in the futility of their minds, he is saying, you are different as a follower of Christ. In other words, we no longer walk as the Gentiles, the unbelievers do, because we know better. And the only way that we know better is because Christ shows us and calls us to a better way. We all have an appetite for something. That thing that our body craves. 
But not every appetite is either edifying or healthy. And the measure of what is or is not can always be seen in the fruit that it bears. How does it or how does it not feed others? On Wednesday this week, Faith Lutheran over on Lake Otis had a community panel to converse and discuss the opioid crisis in our community. And it's very clear in this discussion whether we're talking an addiction to opioids or alcohol or any other kind of substance or behavior or relationship or whatever it is, everybody has an appetite for something that they crave. And walking out of that discussion, it is very clear that there is a huge need, a vacuum, a void in our community for how we actually help people understand and address healthy ways to fill those holes. Ways in which we can help point them to healthier, better ways in Christ. No one sets out to be an addict of anything. No one sets out to be a slave of a substance or dependent upon a relationship. And yet before you know it, that's the path that we wind up down. In our gospel text today, Jesus tells the people again, that he is the bread of life that came down from heaven. And here, instead of saying, thank you, God, we've waited our entire lives and you're finally here, instead, they get hung up on his credentials. They stop and say, well, now, isn't this Joseph and Mary's kid? Who is he? the son of this poor carpenter, to speak to us and claim to be the bread from heaven. Their appetite is all about what fills their belly and not any consideration of what their neighbors requires. Everything about the brokenness of our old body is buried with Christ. You see, we have different tastes, different appetites that drive us. And a wholly different body as we are clothed in Christ. But the temptation that we have as Christians and sometimes as a church is to hold an unbelieving world to the expectations of that of a believer. We expect them to know things that they don't yet know. We 
We can't hold the unbeliever to the same standard that we are. Until they are taught and discipled in why it matters. And until then, we're preaching a foreign language of moral majority and conservative Christian hypocrisy. That's all they hear. And so instead, we strive to preach grace. The word of the cross that is folly to those who are perishing and Christ crucified as God works his spirit to call broken people to a better way in his redemption. My wife and I like to watch these survival shows I've said before, like Naked and Afraid, and you know, where they kind of drop you off in the middle of nowhere, and then they're supposed to survive for 21 days on just what they can find. And you watch a couple of these fools because they get out there, and I say it that way because they think they've got it all figured out, and in the first days, they're popping berries and mushrooms into their mouth, and all of a sudden, they say, man, it tastes like metal, and I can't see. Well, God gave you senses for a reason. Probably should not pick up and eat that prickly thing out of the ocean. If it stinks, don't eat it. We have senses for a reason. And God gives us these senses to be able to discern for ourselves what may be dangerous. And spiritually, the way that he does this is he says, don't dabble in darkness. Don't dip your toe in the water and expect it to stay there because before you know it, you're up past your neck and you're struggling to even swim. Stop. We don't dabble in corruption or idolatry. Or as Paul says it today, the practice of any kind of impurity. See, Luther had a way of saying this, and in this discourse that he is set to give before academics called the Heidelberg Disputation, he actually says that we are supposed to call a thing what it is. We don't try and conceal it. We don't try and justify it. We don't try and water it down. But instead, we are called to call it out as a sin, as darkness, for what it is. So that we operate transparently in light of the gospel. Jesus tells... The Jews this morning, he says, your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they still died. So you want to hold fast to that promise of Abraham, that hope that you have in him? Well, that's fine, but recognize that it still leads to death. That without the bread from heaven, without the bread of life, without me, Christ, he says... You will die and you will stay dead. 
said, but this bread that comes down from heaven is so that one may eat of it and not die. As much as I love to cook, it's because I love to eat. And I love coffee and tea, and coffee and tea and beer are all things that are great and best brewed. In other words, they sit. You don't push the button on the coffee maker and immediately pull the cup out because it's going to be empty. It actually has to sift through the grounds. The tea has to seep. The beer has to ferment. Bread has to rise. But Paul says this morning, don't let the sun set on anger. In other words, don't let the sun set on anger, bitterness, or resentment. You see, there's a very different kind of conversation that happens over the hospitality of a meal. In other words, as Paul says this, do not withhold do not withhold forgiveness or grace either for as you forgive others or from as you seek forgiveness from them that was freely and unconditionally given to you. There's a man named Bob Goff and he wrote this book called Love Does. And Bob Goff is this attorney that lives in California and has his practice in Seattle and so every day he travels back and forth to his office and he comes to this conference and he's talking about how his office is the best office in the world and all I can think is you hardly spend any time there. And he says, yeah, but I put it right over a bakery. He said, do you know how hard it is for people to grumble and complain and be crabby when they're filled with the smell of fresh bread baking? (laughs) He said, I have the happiest clients on the planet when they come into my office because guess what? I have a relationship with that baker and it's sitting right there waiting for him. There's something to that. Following Christ is about tasting and seeing that He is good and that we have nothing to do with it. In the Old Testament, as the people of God are on the brink of entering into the promised land, God tells Moses to send 12 spies into the promised land to investigate it, to see what they can see, and to come back and report all of these things to the people. And so they go out and they look and they see, and the land is good. It's plentiful with good fruit. It is flowing with milk and honey. And then they see the people. 
And they start to get a little afraid of what they're actually about to accomplish. And so they come back and they give this report to Moses. And ten of the twelve say, we can't do this. There's no way. They were content to be homeless exiles wandering for the rest of their life. But Joshua and Caleb call the people of God to faithfulness and how he provides for every need they have in their journey to be home with him. And so in Numbers chapter 14, Joshua, son of Nun, says, The land which we pass through to spy it out is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, he will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land that flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord, and do not fear the people of the land, for they are bread for us. Their protection is removed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. See, that's through verse 9, and then in verse 10 it says, they picked up stones ready to stone the two of them to death until God intervenes. We are what we eat. As JFK visited Berlin in 1963, the well-known story goes that as he speaks to this people of a divided city on the brink of nuclear war, he sought to speak these words in solidarity to a people who understood well the realities of freedom, and he says, Ich bin ein Berliner. And he was intending to say in the same manner, I am a Roman citizen, as that would have power in the ancient world. He says, I am a Berliner, but instead, through a thick Boston accent and through poor phonetic spelling, he says, I am a jelly donut. We are what we eat. And so as we gather as the people of God around word and sacrament, we seek to feed with nothing but the bread of life. Otherwise, folks stay hungry. We treat the symptom instead of helping Show them the cure for the disease. The mission of this church is to walk with broken people through really hard stuff where we don't stop on the other side. And the way that we do this is by embracing space for folks to belong where they can learn how to believe. 
Remember how we talked about the way that these unbelievers cannot be held to the same standards as believers until they are taught and discipled? Well, guess what? That's how it happens. And so we come and we worship and we gather and sometimes we try and sit towards the back where we can make a quick getaway and we try and just show up and leave so we don't have to get too terribly involved and we keep the relationship just sort of on surface level. But guess what? When I started here, you told me this was the Lutheran Mafia. And I asked if that's because once you're in, you're never getting out. I've come to believe that's probably true. And the way that we do that is we are intentional about challenging the people of God to feed other broken folks with the gospel. Through acts of service, intentional discipleship, and invitations to worship God through his word and sacrament. Because we're fed up with what the old world offers and we're hungry for something more. So that we live on a steady diet of the bread of life that calls us to be imitators of God as his beloved children. As Jesus says, if anyone eats of this bread, you will live forever so that God always gets the glory now and forevermore. Amen.